This is the Firearms Trainers Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7, published on October 18th, 2021. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Our topic today will be marketing to inner-city clients. Our podcast is part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sites, the best sites made in the USA. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off in your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by XS Sites. Every XS site is guaranteed for 10 years, which gives you the confidence to use these sites during your class and demonstrations knowing that you have an American company standing behind them. We bring this podcast to support the industry the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Before we get into the show, I want to do a quick shout out to everyone that took the time to introduce themselves to me during last weekend's TC workshop up at the USCCA. Training is a passion of mine, and knowing it helps other instructors is really great to hear, so thank you. Now, let's get on to this week's show. Today, we're joined by Daniel Ward II from the Minnesota Training Center. Welcome, Daniel, and thanks for coming on and sharing your knowledge with our audience. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be here, Rob. Super. Before we jump into things, can you give our listeners a little bit about who Daniel Ward II is and how you got into the firearm training uh, business? Uh, sure. Um, started when I was a little kid, you know, fascinated by firearms. I come from a, um, a family of uh, military vets. My father was uh, on Army, and I was actually born on a, on a base up at Fort Lewis in uh, Tacoma, Washington. And then we moved around quite a bit, got a lot of uh, cousins, uncles, and grandfathers and ex-wives that were also part of the Department of Defense, and just decided, you know... <clears throat> There's a little bit more to this than what meets the eye. Uh, I spent 11 years in the military and watched uh, a lot of people go through a lot of different things and decided, you know what, when I grow up and and become an adult, I'm going to find a way to monetize this. So decided after working in real estate and construction for a number of years, you get burnt out. Let me try something new. Let me uh, go with what I already know. So knew a lot about uh, small arms. Spent some time in the scouts. Uh, used to go shooting every every summer and enjoyed it. And I figured, you know, old enough, let me figure out the last part of my life here. Let me do something I really enjoy doing. And I was really good with teaching uh, people how to do different things and. I decided, let me try my hand at this. So decided to get into uh, firearms training, and I've done, you know, very well at it. Good. I appreciate your time. Well, today's topic is talking about inner city marketing. And I think one of the first things to uh, talk about to give people kind of a, a relative uh, uh, look into who you are, where are you located at? I am located in St. Paul, Minnesota, and some people, they all, all they hear about is Minneapolis, uh, but St. Paul and Minneapolis are twin cities, and that's the, the, the term, the twin cities. 
whatever's happening in Minneapolis doesn't necessarily happen in St. Paul. You think of Minneapolis as the uh, the big cosmopolitan city, and St. Paul is a small kind of uh, really eclectic conglomeration of small neighborhoods uh, over in a very um, quaint and conservative part of town, and we're kind of the, we're the capital city of the state of Minnesota. So a lot of lot of political stuff going on here, but at the same time, very very small uh, independent neighborhoods. Well, that's uh, that's neat because uh, those strong uh, neighborhoods came from a lot of uh, strong people in in the past that have you know built those neighborhoods and they've got strong identities and those are always uh, neat to visit and neat to understand. Exactly. So tell us, um, in your experience, when it comes to marketing, how does it differ when we're talking about marketing to inner city um, residents versus to a suburban uh, resident? Well, in in marketing to your your inner city clientele, you really got to understand who it is that you're marketing to and not only who, but why everybody's heard of George Floyd and, and uh, the craziness that was going on over in Minneapolis, even though that was happening just right across the river here in St. Paul, the atmosphere was a little bit different. There are a lot of um, neighborhoods that are broken down into different uh, ethnicities, uh, affluence, uh, business districts, and just traditions. So when marketing to those neighborhoods in your particular area, you need to understand what are the needs for those areas? Is there a a huge public safety need? Uh, Is there a need and a understanding, particularly if you're in in an area where there are a lot of immigrants, do they understand what the second amendment is? You know, we, we as part of gun culture and gun enthusiasts, and instructors, we take a lot for granted. We use a lot of acronyms. We throw around a lot of terms that uh, we take for granted, but a lot of people just have no clue and they have no understanding of what all this means. And if you're trying to talk to someone that comes from a, um, a background where they are a, a new citizen, new immigrant, and you're trying to explain to them that um, there is a need for self-protection, they don't necessarily look at it the same way that we do. Mm -hmm. They they look at it as, well, I came from an environment where the government controlled everything. And if there's ever a problem, you call the police or you call the government. And when they come, uh, it could be a bad thing because now they want to question everybody. So we don't necessarily want to have the government involved in, in our, in our lives. We would rather um, be quiet and be very good model, quote, citizens, uh, and conform. So it's really hard when you're dealing with immigrant populations in order to talk to them about the Second Amendment and the the necessary need for uh, self-preservation and protection and and having that right as a U.S. citizen uh, to be able to exercise the right to keep and bear arms. And the one thing that's different. Yeah, because... You know, I was going through my mind as we were talking about that is, you know, there's very few countries that I can think of 
that have it codified in a constitution and they're in the basis of the of that country that the citizens are guaranteed the right to uh, bear arms to be able to possess them there's countries that are that you're allowed to but right. you know the people that i know that live in those kind of countries they're like well the only people that do that are the people that are connected because you've got to get this permit and that permit. You got to get government officials to sign off in order for you to own a gun. You know, it could be a shotgun, could be a 22 rifle, any of those, but they, you know, they've got very tight control on it. Where in the U S you know, if you are, have a good, if you don't have a criminal record and you are a U.S. citizen, you have the right and the ability mm-hmm. to own a firearm, you know, anywhere from a right. high powered hunting rifle all the way down to a, you know, a handgun, shotgun, th- those types of things. And that's where uh, people that are immigrants, people that are not um, versed in our constitution, is, you know, they may not see the need for it. And then at the same time, you know, and I think in the last, um, couple of years, you probably, I've seen a lot of people's uh, attitudes change around to where calling the government 911 here in the U.S. brought the police very quickly. Sometimes with the attacks that go on with the police, sometimes they're a little hesitant and sometimes, you know, they're not as Johnny on the spot as you'd like to, you know, the individual officers right. would like to, but at the same time, they've got certain protocols. They've got different things that, you know, a perfect example is, you know, people that have home alarms. They know that if they have too many false alarms, all of a sudden something happened. Uh, they have an alarm at their house. They're on a low priority to where maybe somebody will come by, check the house in an hour or two. And those are the types right. of things to where it can take a long time. Uh, when you go along and look yep. at inner city uh, with the violence that we've seen in, in different areas of every major city, Police response, even fire response can be slower than what people really want. And those are some of the things where people need to understand their rights on what they can and cannot do. And that can be a very, it can be very challenging depending upon the, you know, where the person's coming from, because some cultures, they don't have the, they don't have the gun culture like we have in the United States, but also at the same time, they don't always have the self-defense kind of attitude to where, you know, I've got to defend myself, my family. It's a, you know, somebody's going to, somebody will come and save me. And those are, those are attitudes that you've really got to market to and make sure people understand. um, That's that's why I say you need to understand the why Mm -hmm. and, and understand what motivates them to want to do that. Um, the Twin Cities and particularly in St. Paul, um, what a lot of people don't realize is we have the largest uh, East African Somali population in the United States outside of Mogadishu. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only are there a large number of Somalis that live here, there are a large number of Ethiopians. Uh, there's a large number of uh, Southeast Asians from um, parts of Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, that are part of the Hmong culture. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of, um, I would say, uh, Croatians that are in this area as well. Uh, I've run into large groups of Karini, which are from Tibet. Um, my neighbors are, are Tibetan. And uh, there's a Somali family that lives across the street. There are, are, are people from a lot of different countries here 
And there are probably about 63 different languages that are spoken in the public school system here in St. Paul. So a lot of the uh, public safety personnel don't speak those languages. And so if you're interfacing with these people that are in your community, you need to understand a little bit about how are you going to communicate with them if there's a language barrier and then there's a cultural barrier. Mm-hmm. Then you have the political barrier in itself because a lot of the large cities, particularly a lot of large U.S. cities, they don't contain uh, places where you can either purchase a firearm or go to shoot a firearm. A lot of the ranges are in the out on, on the outskirts or in the burbs. So there's transportation issues. There's the cost of the firearm uh, and anybody that that's in gun culture that hasn't been living in a cave or under a rock uh, also has noticed that there are ammunition shortages. And if you're going to uh, go through the exercise of purchasing a firearm, uh, you need to also purchase some ammo and then you need to train so that you're adequately trained up with that uh, particular firearm. And you know, you can dry fire. And there are a lot of people that talk about dry fire. It's a very good way of getting the basics down. But there's nothing like a live fire exercise where you can actually feel the recoil. And the way to do that is you got to fire some live ammunition in order to get used to that. So there are a lot of barriers that that must be uh, jumped through or hoops that you've got to jump through. And then Given all of that, where to advertise? Uh, advertising on Facebook can be tricky. Advertising on Instagram can be very tricky. Uh, if you're offering classes, yes. But if you're offering anything other than instructional stuff, um, you could be shadow banned. Um, there, there's all kinds of, of stuff and al- algorithms that pump you out of the normal Facebook crowd. And putting up flyers and posters uh, has become stigmatized for certain businesses or restaurants or just common places that people hang out at. So you got to have a very good network of friends, family, church members, people that are part of other groups or clubs that want to learn uh, what it is that you're doing. And you got to have some type of charismatic um character about yourself, you can't be afraid to talk to people at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to get out there. You got to put yourself out there. And I think that's what's been good about uh, my business is I am not afraid to talk to anybody. And I make it my business wherever I go. If I'm out eating with my family, if I'm out at the convenience store getting gas or whatever, anybody I'm giving money to, I'm asking them, you know, hey, are you a uh, a person that's eligible to do a uh, to get your concealed carry permit, and then how do you feel about you know the the climate that we're in right now? Do you have adequate home protection? Uh, so I always try to start off with asking some basic questions and find out what their needs are. Yep, that's good. And and talking about needs, you know, when you were talking about there's 63 different languages uh, spoken within the St. Paul school system, is to realize that out of any immigrant. Um, population, there is a majority of good people in there, but then there's all, then there's also a portion of it, no matter what demographic it is that have, you know, some people that are going to take advantage of others, you know, IE criminals. 
And it's one of those things to realize that if they, if they're not speaking English, you know, from a U.S. perspective where they can very easily interface with the police, interface with fire, that they could be taken advantage of by other people and they can't properly articulate what's all going on to them to tell them what the guy looked like, um, you know, that robbed them or, or went along and attacked them, those, those types of things. And as fire instructors, I think one of our biggest uh, challenges and our highest calling is to go along and help the people that are being victimized and have them understand their rights, have them have the skills so they can persevere in a violent confrontation. You know, I don't want anybody using the skills that I train them on to do something illegal, but I do hope that the uh, father can defend his family. The grandparents can defend, defend uh, their grandkids, that that mother can defend herself from a, uh, you know, from somebody attacking her so that the good can win over evil. But it's one of those things I think sometimes people like to uh, paint with a very broad brush or call of uh, immigrants being all one way or the other way. But if you really get down and know immigrant groups, you realize that probably 90 plus percent of any immigrant group are good, hardworking citizens that are just trying to do the same thing everybody else is. And that is, you know, make a living, to, you know, be safe and raise a yep. family with it. And you Absolutely. get that small percentage of the population that are criminals that are trying to go out there and trying to, you know, steal stuff, trying to, um, you know, rob people, do all those kind of things that no, none of us, uh, like none of us, um, you know, want to have in society, but it's just kind of uh, part of the, our society that when you've got, um, you know, freedoms, it also comes with uh, great responsibilities to be able to go along and take care of yourselves because we don't have a policeman on every corner watching for somebody in, in, uh, having strict enforcement of every single law that's on the books. Right, right. Well, as you were talking, I was uh, kind of going back a couple of months, remembering I had a class uh, that was filled with a bunch of uh, Karini, which are uh, Tibetans. And they had watched a lot of Western movies and particularly a lot of um, um Clint Eastwood uh, Westerns and their big thing was, you know, well, <clears throat> they were into, I would say, wanting to try to prove how bad they were uh, in some of the, the, the Western phrases, you know, from these movies, you know, if, and I, I like to quote a, a lot of, of, of sayings from different movies in order to get across that we can be brainwashed and we've adopted a lot of Western uh, ideals and culture that may not be good for us. Uh, so watching those Westerns and looking at the, the Clint Eastwood and the John Wayne, uh, it's not really like that, you know, in all places in America, you know, there are some things that you need to be aware of but having that mindset of being able to protect yourself and being the, the good guy, so to speak, uh, isn't part of a lot of different uh, cultural norms. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they pick up a lot of the bad habits from movies and TV, and they think that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, when you carry a gun, you got to be a bad guy. You got to you got to act like this. You got to be like Charles Bronson. 
or you have to be like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and no, you you don't. That's not what you do. Mm-hmm. You need to uh, at first be aware of what's going on around you, and your your duty in the state of Minnesota is this is a duty to retreat state. You can't go out and, and look for a fight and try to beat a cowboy. You need to be calm, cool, collective, and be looking for a way out of a fight before it even happens. And at the last resort, and only at the last resort, do you engage in anything. And I drum that into people's heads when they start talking that rhetoric about, well, I, I want to be like the guy in the movie. Wrong. You can't be like the guy in the movie. You're going to jail if you do that. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are those things that you have to also fight through uh, when you're teaching in an inner city market where there are a lot of immigrants that come to your classes. Yeah. Even in Ohio, we, we've uh, no longer have the duty to retreat. If I impress upon my students uh, significantly to understand that retreat is a win when it comes to uh, self-defense, because right. you get to see the, another day. You get to not be in the hospital. You, there is a 100% chance of surviving if you retreat. Exactly. The thing comes down to, and I'll quote our one of our first guests on this podcast, and that was Andrew Branca, who said, if you're involved in a violent confrontation, no matter how good your skills or anything else like that, you have a greater and zero chance of death or bodily harm, because that's why you went along and had to uh, you know, draw your, your firearm, use your weapon to defend yourself. But at the same time, could the other guy have just gotten lucky shot off or could there have been instead of one guy, there's two or three or four guys. Um, you go along and look at, um, the videos that John Korea does on active self-protection. You see, you know, some good, uh, gun gun fights, but you also see sometimes when the good guys don't win and that's where you go along. And I impress upon my students, you know, duty retreat or not duty retreat. If you can avoid it, that's a win in my book, because I get to see another day for sure. There's no question about it. I don't end up in the hospital. You know, I don't, don't put my family through it. I don't put my, myself through it. And that's where changing the attitudes and making sure people realize that Hollywood shows you something that looks good on TV, but won't hold up in court of law, um, creates a whole lot of other problems for your lawyers and might not have the right mindset to go along and, and do things. It's, it's some of the old movies you see where they go along and they, you know, fire a warning shot, you know, don't make me do it, you know, bang, bang, <laughs> you know, That's right. and you go along and do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we've even, you know, had p- political leaders that go along and talk about firing shotguns in the air and, you know, technically, you know, that does not help you at all. Um, and that's where people need to really, you know, don't be looking on the T don't be looking to politics for your, uh, gun advice. Don't be looking toward Hollywood for your gun advice. Go out and get yourself some quality training because uh, any, any instructor that's worth the salt will be able to go along and tell you, you know, a smaller gun is easier to conceal, but kicks a little bit more bigger gun kicks less, but it's harder to conceal, you know, shooting a, shooting a nine millimeter is, is a lighter recoil, but a 45 recoil, uh, 45 has a higher recoil and you got the 10, 10 millimeter and 40 cap 40 caliber and, and give you kind of, kind of way things look. I mean, yes, we'd all like to be, you know, dirty, hairy 
and build and build clean up the streets. But at the same time, that's not the way the legal system works. And at the same time, that's not the what you want to have on your conscience for the rest of your life. You know, a scene, you know, like from Dirty Harry, you know, you, you know, make my day. And, you know, that's, Absolutely. Not, that's not what you want. Absolutely. The, the other thing that um, I've started to do that has been extremely helpful is to talk to a lot of uh, pastors uh, in a lot of the communities. Uh, being in an inner city uh, market, you have a lot of, of people that are from all different types of backgrounds. And with the level of violence uh, in some of the, the inner cities, a lot of pastors are now considering it's a wise choice for me to be armed and to have individuals in the church armed in order to protect our parishioners. So what I will do, and this is just me, not everybody has to do this, but this is what I will do. I will tell a pastor, um, my maximum number of people that I will train at one time is 10 people. If you can put 10 people in a room, whoever that senior person is uh, that helped coordinate and get everybody together, I want to reward you by giving you your class for free. And it provides an incentive for them now to then help coordinate getting everybody together, uh, making sure that they're going to show up and they're going to be there and that they're all committed to doing this training. Um, the good and the bad about training is you might have 10 or 12 people sign up, five people show up. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of instructors I have talked to have said, you know, you could, there's a way to stop that. You can get people to prepay. There are people that will sign up for your class. They will prepay for your class and they still will not show up. Um, so uh, to those individuals that think you're going to stop no shows, it's just not not possible. Mm -hmm. uh, but if people tend to do things in a group setting, they're all on the same level or close to the same level. There's some camaraderie uh, with everybody learning together. Uh, it helps with getting them to come as a group and they'll be more active with wanting to come back uh, as a group and take additional classes. I always start off my classes with everybody raising their right hand and they say that, you know, this is kindergarten 101 of shooting culture. I congratulate them for, for being a part of, of the U.S. gun culture and exercising their constitutional rights to keep and bear arms, but it should not stop here. Laws change every couple of years, sometimes monthly. Uh, you need to stay involved. You need to stay active. Shooting is a perishable skill. You need to stay in, involved. You need to go to the range. If it's not in my class, continue to take a class from someone that is relatable, someone that you enjoy taking that class from. And I also offer any of the students that have taken my classes the ability to sit in on another class for free. Mm -hmm. And if they want to bring someone else, you know, just to introduce them so they can just kind of look and see. I don't charge them, but if you want to go to the range and shoot, you know, then you're burning up ammunition. Ammunition now is, is like gold. So yeah, I'm going to have to charge you for that. Um, <laughs> but 
I try to take away all, all the excuses. You know, I provide the guns. I provide the ammunition. I provide the ear pro, the eye pro. I provide the targets. All you've got to do is just warm the seat and have an open mind, ready and willing to learn. We go to the range. I pay the range fee. And a lot of guys will say, well, you know, your class is $125, but look at everything else I paid for. By the time we're done paying for everything, was it really $125? They may have only paid $40, but the benefit of the knowledge and the benefit that they're getting, they didn't have to come out of pocket. They didn't have to plan anything. I want to make sure that that it's an enjoyable experience rather than a hindrance of, well, I paid for the class. Oh, you didn't tell me I got to rent a gun. Oh, you didn't tell me I got to rent ear pro. Oh, you didn't tell me I got to rent eye pro. Oh, you didn't tell me I have to pay the range fee. Oh, you didn't tell me this. And so then they feel like, you know, you, you're, you're just trying to take me for a ride here. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want them feeling used. I want them to come away from an experience of, wow, this was great. I learned something. This was a fun experience. It wasn't anything like the friends of mine told me it would be like. It wasn't bad at all. And I'm coming back. That's that's what I want to hear at the end of every class is what else do you teach? What else can I learn? And when can we do this again? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and making sure the, that your pricing, you know, people know what's included and your pricing to be able to compare because it would be just like, you know, somebody has a super low price on a brand new car, but right. it doesn't include air conditioning. It's manual transmission. It doesn't have power windows, power locks, you know, all of a sudden, you know, that's all in the fine print. But if you go along, make sure people realize that, Hey, this is a good price, but it's automatic transmission. It's it's got got you know air conditioning, power windows, power locks, and all of a sudden people are like, well, why would I want to go along and buy something less than this, only to save fifty bucks, and it's going to be everything I need? You know, you're talking about ammo right. prices. Ammo can be very tough to get these days, and you know, especially if you don't, if you're not part of the gun culture, to where like, okay, don't buy it at this place. Go over down to the gun shop down the street here because they're they always you know do a very small markup compared to a big chain store and if you don't know that what you can get one place for 25 bucks might cost you 40 bucks another another place and that's where again that's a cost that goes into getting going through a class and getting a license right or buying bulk ammo you know where we get a group of instructors together and we'll Mm -hmm. buy you know, several thousand rounds of ammunition and, and busted up amongst ourselves. So it, it, it helps when we do this together. And it's not, well, I don't want to share my secrets with you because you're a competitive instructor. That's not the, the, the premise that I use. I want to get as many people educated, as many people that have the knowledge that they can do this. And it's not some mysterious formula where uh, just a few people know and it's a club where you have a secret knock and a secret secret word that you say and you're in the club. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to be able to do this. I want everybody to be able to protect their families and, and be able to, to say, I'm confident, I know what I'm doing, and I have a group of people that I can go to the range with uh, every month. Uh, mm-hmm. Other things that we do, uh, we advertise uh, with nonprofit groups. Uh, I recently ran into a group 
of, uh, of women that are part of a, um, uh, a women's anti-violence group. And we talk about situational awareness and things that women can do in order to uh, help themselves. And we go through the baby steps before we even get to the guns. Uh, we, we talk about everything that involves personal safety. And then if they want to do this, you know, they're looking around the room, they see the posters, they see the, the blue guns, they, they see the targets, and they're asking, you know, well, what is all this? Well, that's there for those that, that want to uh, move up and, you know, carry a weapon or be able to have a weapon at home to defend themselves. And nine times out of 10, it generates interest. They want to know, well, how do I do that? And then now that opens the door to talk about, okay, well, why don't you sit in on a class? They sit in on a class and now they're, they're hooked. They're interested. They want to, they want to do that. Uh, We, we teach kids, we teach um, middle-aged adults. The oldest person I've had in my class was a 78 year old grandmother and she brought her daughter and then her daughter brought her daughter. So there were three generations there all at the same day uh, learning. And I will teach large groups up to 10, all the way down to one person. If you're the only person that shows up that day and that's the person that's booked, you get all my attention. So I try to make sure that people know if if it's booked, I'll be there. You're going to be there. You're going to get what you paid for and then some. Well, that's that's great. Uh, Really like how you're reaching out to the different groups because some people might go along and think, okay, you know, a anti-violence women's group might not be interested. But at the same time, I think most people can draw a line between violence, you know, that's perpetrated on innocent people in self-defense to where somebody's using se- using tools in self-defense to go along and prevent that violence from being on their family, on themselves, or or some some other innocent person. Right. Right. That's it's real important as an instructor that we also um, teach about the non-lethal uh, weapons as well. A lot mm-hmm. of us, you know, we're we're into guns, we're we're macho, and this is cool. And that's all we want to talk about. Wrong. We should talk about um, what about the use of, you know, OC spray or pepper spray, the use of uh, a light for self-defense, depending on where you are. Maybe you want to use a a taser or some type of uh, electronic shock device. Um, Maybe you want to use an impact uh, tool. Uh, But those are all different options. And if you can let people know that these are the different options that are available to you, you choose what you're most comfortable with. I can only advise you, you know, how to use these tools, but it's up to you to find out which tool is best for your circumstance. There's no one tool that fits every single uh, possibility. And when you go along and look at it, uh, you know, yes, carrying a firearm is probably ultimate level of self-defense, but then at the same time, there are situations to where we can't carry a firearm or a firearm isn't appropriate. And that's right. where, and that's where having maybe, you know, a taser device, having OC spray, mm-hmm. or let's put it this way, just some basic open hand skills. I mean, exactly. people, people would be horrified 
if you pulled a gun out on a 10 year old kid, but a 10 year old kid could be coming at you with a knife or a baseball bat. But That's if you right. had, but if you had some open hand skills to where you were confident in being able to go along and take and wrestle that knife away from them, stop that baseball bat before it could do you damage different things like that. You've been able to deescalate that situation in a very uh, positive way because both you and that kid is, um, you know, survives the day and hopefully they can get some help for, for what they're doing. Because in a situation like that, do you have a ultimate, um, ability to go along and claim self-defense probably, but at the same time, are you going to be thinking about that the rest of your life? And that's, yes, you will be. Could I have done this? Could I have done that? And that's where not, you know, don't, I, I'll again, tell my students, don't look at the firearms being the end all to everything because you're right. going to be in a church. You're going to be in a school. You're going to be in an airline. And what are you going to do if somebody goes along and, and starts going berserk there? I mean, you can't go along and say, okay, I'll just sit here and take it until we land. You need to have some kind of uh, open hand skills, some kind of uh, uh, skills to be able to go along and restrain that person. When we saw it on a flight just a couple months ago to where they duct taped a uh, unruly <laughs> passenger to a seat. That's but at right. the same time, yeah, they didn't have an air marshal. They didn't have, you know, the normal tools that we talk about. But guess what? They had duct tape and sure enough, they duct taped into the seat made it all across the news, but it's one of those things to where people could be, were aware of what was going on and made a conscious decision. Okay. This is how we're going to deal with this in a, in a manner that everybody survived. And when they landed, the police could take that uh, gentleman off the flight and deal with them appropriately. Right. Right. Andrew Branca uh, said something in a, a podcast I was listening to not too long ago. He said, you, you need to uh, be, um, not so easily killed, but uh, hard to convict. And mm -hmm. so we, we really need to think about before we engage anybody or anyone, uh, is it really worth it? It could easily go, like you said, the other way. There's a 50-50 mm -hmm. shot I could win. It's a 50-50 shot that the other person uh, could win. Is this something that could land me in jail? Is this something that could end my life? And particularly if it doesn't necessarily involve me and it's a third party, I'm watching something go down. Morally, it may offend me, but is it something that I really need to get involved in? And do I really understand what's happening? Because it could be who I'm perceiving as the victim is not the victim. And they're the aggressor. And so mm -hmm. if I insert myself in that third party uh, event, uh, now I become liable for anything else that happens after that, that could escalate to the use of deadly force, which could then cause me to uh, lose my freedoms uh, and be stuck with, you know, hurting someone or getting hurt myself when I could have just used some discretion, watched from a distance, and maybe I just need to be a good witness today and call 911 or record what's going on both mentally and physically uh, with a phone or another device and be present to be able to talk about what I thought I saw. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to be present in a lot of different ways. We have to watch what's going on and, and, and back to knowing the why, knowing our environment, knowing what's the purpose for doing all of this 
and who our clientele is, it really, really matters. And, and I think one thing to keep in mind as you're talking about the why and clientele from the immigrants that I know, and uh, you know that includes my grandparents uh, that came over here back in the 30s. Um, you know they weren't necessarily uh, up to speed on American culture all the time, and mm-hmm. that's probably one of the things to where you know from this podcast that I'm taking away that we've really got to go along and think about you know not just okay here's a gun and this is how you use it, but actually maybe explaining a little bit about gun culture so that people understand that to your point it's not John Wayne it's not. Um, uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, all, you know, these Hollywood, but it's a lot, it's a lot more to it. And that's where, you know, we want to make sure we ground our students. I hope that none of my students ever have to defend themselves with a firearm, but at the same time, I feel confident that I've given the skills and the tools to be able to do that effectively uh, for it. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, for people that are especially first, first generation immigrants, they haven't gone through American schools. They haven't gone through and don't have a whole lot of friends, uh, you know, that are long, long-term Americans where they can, things will rub off. And that's one of the things where I know I'm going to take that, that away as we've got when immigrants have come to our classes, making sure, you know, explain a little bit more about American gun culture, because it's not a uh, cowboy attitude that you should have. It's more of a, more of a mild man or almost like um, Superman type of uh attitude to where you're going to be very uh uh very undercover until the absolute last minute when you realize that you've got to do something or bad things going to happen right right and that's a good analogy there i never thought of it from the superman approach where you duck (laughs) into the alley and Mm -hmm. you change from clark kent into superman yeah, um, you, you, stuck, you used good. to duck into the phone booth, but we don't have phone booths ever anymore. <laughs> but yeah, duck into the alley and all of a sudden you pop out, and save Lois Lane, or you stop the meteor from crashing into uh, Gotham City. We've all seen those movies. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's uh, that's important that, you know, new instructors, old instructors, you know, n- understand that it's the passion why we do this. It's not necessarily the money. You're in business to make money. But you got to also want to do this and have another reason other than just for the income. Being an instructor, it can pay well if you're teaching on a consistent basis and there are large numbers. And any instructor that, that uh, is in this environment here in the Twin Cities with everything that's been going on, uh, they've done quite well. But I try to give my students a very good value uh, and I try to talk to as many people as I possibly can, uh, wherever I am, uh, you know, about, hey, what are you doing to, to help protect your family? You know, kind of like an insurance salesman. You know, mm-hmm. do you have life insurance? You know, do you have auto insurance? Well, you should have insurance on learning some skills in order to protect you and your family in case something goes sideways. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, Daniel, I really appreciate your time. Uh, today. Um, great information. Um, good talking about how to market our classes to inner city and the need that they have uh, there. But we got a question we've been asking all our guests uh, this year. Can you recommend a book or instructor to other instructors that they should uh, seek out to improve themselves? Uh, yeah, I've been reading a couple of books. Um, 
One of them is uh, Black Man with a Gun by uh, Ken Blanchard. Um, good book filled with a lot of details. And it gives the history of gun culture in uh, the Black community. Uh, that's important as a uh, minority in an inner city environment to understand how do our own people you know, view guns and the history of guns and, and where guns uh, come from and how it's affected the Black community. Very, very good book. And what was the, what was the other part of the question? Just one, uh, does a book or instructor, that's all. If um, you just have one, that's good. That That's a good book. And I've been listening to um, one of your buddies, uh, Riley Bowman, with uh, the United States Concealed Carry. ConcealedCarry.com. Yep, they've got a podcast, and, and Riley has a lot of good uh, information. So, I mean, you know, being a sponge, soaking up as much information as you possibly can, reading, going on YouTube, listening to podcasts, talking to a lot of instructors, going to other classes. That's the best thing that a person can do is be in a continuous learning environment to learn as much as you can and be open. Um, if someone says this, ask the question again, back to the why. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Everybody has got to understand there's no one thing that fits all people when it comes to uh, self-defense. You got to understand the why. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Daniel, where can uh, instructors find more about you and your company and some of the classes that you're offering? Well, you can go to uh, www.mnftc. Uh, com and MNFTC stands for Minnesota Firearms Training Center. And that'll pump you through to uh, my website and also uh, shoot me an email. And link to that is a training schedule. I'm an NRA uh, instructor and I'm also a USCCA instructor. I really like the USCCA platform. It's very easy to navigate. Um, and I've had the pleasure of having you as a training instructor uh, for that certification. I train other trainers to become trainers. Mm -hmm. So um, you can find me out there. You can just look me up, uh, Minnesota Firearms Training Center.com. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Well, thank you. And Thank you for uh, having me on your, your show. No problem. That's a wrap on this episode. And let's announce this week's podcast prize giveaway winner. This week's winner is Matthew B. He won a shall not be infringed t-shirt. Next week, we're giving away a legal boundaries by state book. Remember, visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter in for a weekly prize giveaway. Remember, you can't win without entering and your entries do not carry over from week to week. Also, we ask, share all our podcasts on your social media to help other trainers receive the same great information. If you don't know about it, they can't take advantage of it. And there's a lot of great information that we've collected over the two and a half years the podcast has been around already. Remember to check out our other websites where you can search for various topics from marketing to instructor training at farmtrainerpodcast.com. 
And you can also leave us comments on each episode there. If you have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have, or feedback, please email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Fireman Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. We bring these podcasts to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Thanks for listening and stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.